With that, if you turn to the book of Galatians, as we begin a new book, a book that I'm very excited about, and I don't know how many of you uh, have ever had a time in your walk with the Lord to where you've struggled uh, with legalism. In other words, having, in essence, some conditions that sometimes, if we're honest, we actually stick them in front of God's grace. In other words, there's some things we need to do in order to be saved. Paul is going to write to the church at Galatia, a church that was struggling with trying to add the law of God to the grace of God so that it was kind of the grace of God plus the law. You still needed to keep the law. And, and today as we begin with this incredible grace greeting that Paul uses in the first five verses, we're about to start a book that I think is so radically transformative so absolutely essential to us really gaining an understanding of who we are in Christ and how we get there that I don't know if there's another book save maybe the book of Romans that that potentially uh, has this same subject matter in it but the book of Galatians is this tremendous work that the apostle Paul writes to encourage us in the grace of God and exactly what that grace looks like and so uh, we'll take the first five verses, and uh, would you join me? Let's pray and ask God to speak to us in our remaining time. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this incredible book, Lord, used in my own life to free me uh, from the doctrines of works, Lord, trying to earn my own merit and favor with you. Uh, Lord, it's not by the keeping of the law. It isn't by doing anything uh, that we're ever going to see heaven. Lord, it is by your grace, it's through faith, that is a gift to us, and we pray that you just speak to us now as we study your word. We thank you for what you're going to do before you do it, in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 here in Galatians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, and so he makes a statement, he, he's going to tell everyone who he is and why he has the authority to write these things not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me into the churches at Galatia. So here in these first two verses, the Apostle Paul begins this, this letter by reminding us that he is actually an apostle. He's going to go on and give us a greeting now uh, in the next three verses, and it says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's making a differentiation between two people there, two persons of the Trinity, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the introduction really this grace greeting that we have here at the beginning of the book of Galatians. For those of you who are here today, and I would assume and I do believe that it is a vast majority of us who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel is really good news, amen? It's the news that mankind can actually know God, that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can eventually make our way through this life and on to heaven to be one day glory, glorified. But I can tell you that the message of the gospel of grace is absolutely still being attacked in our world today. 
It's being attacked by people who want to cling to religion. It is being attacked by people who believe it is the grace of God plus works, that it is the grace of God plus the law, that there are a bunch of other things that one needs to add to the grace of God in order to have a right relationship with God. The book of Galatians puts it into very clear terms that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is nothing else necessary and there is nothing else that can save you. You are saved by grace, through faith. Paul writes that that faith is actually a gift to you. It's not works. You can't boast about it. Even the faith that you have is a gift to you so that you can believe, so that you can receive the grace of God, so that you can have your sins forgiven and then brought into the kingdom of God so that one day you'll be able to go to heaven. It is not by any other thing. It is not by works of any kind. You see, what happens to a lot of us is we think, well, you know, we need to kind of earn our way. And so we put conditions on the grace of God. Well, you have the grace of God, but you're actually saved by keeping the law. That was the problem with the church at Galatia. They believed that, in essence, in order to be saved, you, you could receive the grace of God, but you also had to work your own way to heaven. That there was something that you could do, in other words, add to the grace of God, so that that merit was earned by you. Let me be very clear. The simplest definition of the word grace is unmerited favor. It is God's unmerited favor towards us. By its very definition, grace can't be earned because grace is actually a gift given to you from Jesus Christ who died in your place on Calvary's cross paying the price for your sin so that in believing in him you have eternal life. Jesus didn't say if you do a bunch of things for me you'll be saved. He said if you believe in me. And so Paul is now going to fight this battle. And the chief thing that he's going to fight against is is what I like to refer to as dead religious legalism. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to, to think about your own Christian experience and your walk with the Lord, but I remember very, very vividly a time in my life when I would have defended the fact that you sure were saved by grace, but you needed to do a whole bunch of things in order to receive that grace. You needed to be sinless. You absolutely needed to have a King James Bible. Uh, if you had anything else, you, there is no way in the world that you were possibly saved. I, I believe that you needed to be in a certain group of evangelical churches in order to be saved. I, I believe you had to meet a lot of different little criteria that you would kind of throw into the mix and subtly, really without actually saying so, you were really saying... If you belong to this group and theologically think this way and you do church so that it looks like this and you also give to the church and you have a certain amount of prayer life and oh by the way you better know some scripture that then you're saved. A lot of the church still believes something akin to that. 
And it's one of the reasons that we have so many problems in Christendom. There's so much division. Because we stick something or some things or many things in front of the grace of God. Paul's going to settle that here in this book. And it's absolutely transformative in the way that it will affect how you live out your life for Christ. Because the truth is, if you are a child of God, you are going to change. If you are a child of God, you are going to hate sin. You're going to love righteousness. You're going to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, in fact. If you are a child of God, you will do good works. If you are a child of God, you will give. If you are a child of God, works are going to flow out of you. That's the teaching of the book of James. But you are not saved because you do those things. They are merely an indicator that you have been saved. But that salvation comes to you as a free gift and nothing else. And so in this opening volley here in these first five verses, we see some truths. And in order to defend himself, Paul defends the fact that he's actually an apostle. It is an amazement to me how many people uh, that claim to be Christians actually try to actually they would love to remove the writings of the Apostle Paul from the Bible. And the chief reason among those things is the Apostle Paul is famous for several lists, one found in Romans chapter 1, we're going to find another one here in the book of Galatians, and another one in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he lists this long list of things, and then he says, and those of you who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in there are a whole bunch of our pet things that we actually really like to do according to our flesh. And so when people read those things, well, you know, the Apostle Paul actually wasn't an apostle. I actually only like the words of Jesus. Matter of fact, there are a number of people in this world that believe that it's only the words of Jesus that actually matter in the Bible. And if you just took all the red letters and you were okay with those, then that would be sufficient. Here's the fallacy in their theology. And let me point this out to you. When you read your Bible, there is not a single word recorded in your Bible that was actually written by Jesus. The words of Jesus were recorded by, guess who? Apostles. And so when you read the Gospel of John, that's the Apostle John writing the words of Jesus. It's the Apostle Mark writing the words of Jesus. The Apostle Luke writing the words of Jesus. So everything we have recorded that are the words of Jesus were actually written by the same apostles that wrote everything else. And so which part of the inspiration of God's word do you actually hold to? Is it all inspired? Or are just the words that they wrote that were attributed to Jesus inspired? You see, it kind of creates a theological conundrum, doesn't it? The entirety of the Bible was inspired by God. It's given to us for doctrine, Reproof, instruction, and correction in righteousness. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy 
there is no such thing as a red-letter version of the Bible. It's simply the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and all of it is to be taken as truth. And so here we have this man who says, look, I'm just one who was sent on a commission like everybody else. He was a special emissary. He, he took upon himself the title of apostle. And it's a very important term because this particular term used in its proper context, apostolo, was one who was sent on a commission, but it's a very specific group of people. It was used in two different ways. One of them was for the original 12, plus the replacement for Judas, that's Matthias, and the Apostle Paul. And they are the only ones in the entirety of the whole New Testament that were actually given the title, the office of an apostle. They were the ones that were establishing the doctrine of the church. And so it was not the church that wrote the Bible. God wrote the Bible and gave it to the church. It's not written by men, it's written by God and given to the church. And so when you read your Bible, when you talk about people sent with an apostolic message, that's a different story. That's men like Barnabas and Silas and Timothy. But they took the message that they received from the apostles and they took forth an apostolic message. So today in the world, there are no true apostles there are no there is no office of apostle in the world today that is a misnomer at its best and it's heretical at its worst there are no apostles nobody is today authoring scripture the original apostles were responsible for authoring the bible as they were instructed by god that's where it came from so god wrote it he used some very specific men to do it. And the reason this is important is we have a couple of groups of people who believe in apostolic authority. Uh, one of them, very large church, you might know them, that's the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church believes that the current Pope has the ability to write, in essence, as Scripture. What he says, if it comes from his lips, uh, it can be attributed to God himself. That flies in the face of what the Bible actually teaches. That's problematic. So if I contradict what the Bible already says, then what I say is true and what the Bible says is false. That's what God says about the word itself. He says every word of it is true. It's God-breathed, literally, is what the Bible says about itself. It doesn't say that men following after are going to be God-breathed. It says the scriptures themselves are God-breathed. And so Paul defends this authority of scripture. He establishes who he is. And so he begins to list his qualifications just so that we don't miss it. When, when you look at, at what Paul is saying, he's claiming to speak for God. Only an apostle can do that. I can't do that. The current president of the Mormon church can't do that, and yet that's what he claims as well. That if he speaks, he's the living prophet. If I speak, it's just Jeff, just so you know. 
But one of the qualifications is listed in Scripture. If you read the book of Acts, you're going to find out that there are really two. One of them, you had to be sent by Jesus. The other, you had to see the risen Christ. Does Paul meet those qualifications? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. And again, remember who's writing. Speaking of the risen Christ, he appeared to Cephas. That would be Peter. And then to the 12. That's the original 12 apostles. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, seen by a group. Then he appeared to James. Very important because that would be his half-brother. He lived with James. So if anyone wanted to disprove the fact that Paul had, had actually seen Jesus, all they would have had to done is go to Jesus' own half-brother and ask him. And then to all the apostles. Now you can throw in Matthias, who replaced Judas. And last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, the apostle Paul. Where did he do that? He saw him on the, re- on the road to Damascus, a resurrected Christ. And you remember the scene. The Apostle Paul is breathing threats. He's breathing murder. He's on his way to persecute the church, to kill Christians. He is on a tear to see if he can stamp out this anti-Jewish movement uh, that is claiming that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he's resurrected. And he's on his way to Damascus. And who does he meet? He meets the Lord Jesus. You remember what Jesus said to him? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It was Jesus. That's who he met. That's who he saw. And so the Apostle Paul meets the qualifications that everyone else had to meet. He would go on to make other personal appearances to other people, all recorded in the book of Acts. 2 Corinthians does it as well. But the Apostle Paul defends his apostleship. There in Acts 9, he said, suddenly a light flashed from heaven and he fell on the ground. And, And Paul's response is interesting because he doesn't say, who are you? He says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. You see, whenever somebody touches God's people, they're actually touching the Lord. That's not a good thing. So Paul says, I'm an apostle. Paul next says, look, I, I, was, I didn't appoint myself. I, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to a school. I, I wasn't sent out by a bunch of men. I was appointed by God. We're going to find out that after some time of preparation, he's going to be sent out by the Holy Spirit to go and minister to the Gentiles. He will be approved by the church in Antioch. But in essence, God the Father ordains Pastor Paul to carry forth this incredible message of God's grace into this world. A message for which I am immensely grateful. So, Before you say we should just pull the writings of Paul out because he was misogynistic or because he was homophobic or any of the other problems that we have with those who happen to think that the Apostle Paul shouldn't say what he has said because he wasn't an apostle at all, he was just a guy. Let me express to you my own personal conviction here. If you take the writings of the Apostle Paul out of the New Testament, 
I think you have a tough time understanding almost every major doctrine of the Christian faith. Because the Romans road is found in the book of Romans, amen? So salvation itself, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that's from the Apostle Paul. There's none righteous, not one. That would be the Apostle Paul. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's the Apostle Paul. You you see, when you begin to pull out the writings of the Apostle Paul, because you don't like what he says about sin, you have to also take what he says about grace out. That's not a good thing. It wasn't Jesus that said, by grace you're saved through faith. It was the Apostle Paul sent by Jesus who said, by grace you've been saved through faith. So be careful about dismissing the writings of the Apostle Paul, because if you don't like the writings of Paul, you might want to ask yourself exactly what you know about God himself. Jesus, yes, spoke the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, yes, spoke the Olivet Discourse about the last days. But Jesus himself never expressed salvation by grace through faith. The Apostle Paul did that. Jesus gave us all the tools He did all the work, but it was explained to us by the Apostle Paul. Who were Paul's associates? Because he was definitely chosen by the Lord with a very, very special message. All the brethren that were with him in Galatia. He's making a differentiation. He's saying, look, I'm an apostle. They're my associates. And the reason he's saying that is he has the right to write these things. God gave him that right. And so if you're one of those people who's in kind of the Jesus-only movement, Jesus, though he said, truly, I, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, guess who he sent? He sent the Apostle Paul. So in receiving the Apostle Paul, you're actually receiving Jesus there in John 13. Just a while after that, in John 14, these things I've spoken to you while you were abiding with me. But a helper will come, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring remembrance to me what remembrance to you what I said. So who did he use to say those things? The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit. And, and so Paul's a special guy. He was the final apostle. He he writes all these marvelous doctrines that help us understand who we are in Christ. When I read Romans chapter 8, for there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, I'm pretty thankful for the Apostle Paul. When I read his words to the church in Ephesians chapter 2, it is mind-boggling to me how many people will contest the writings of the Apostle Paul, and then try and defend the grace of God itself. And while you can see it in the words of Jesus, it is the Apostle Paul that is sent with this very, very, very specific message chosen by God himself. And so he had these other associates in ministry. And they were never spoken of as apostles of the church. They were apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these men who spoke, spoke that inspired message that was inspired by God, not by men, 
So when you read your Bible, you're not reading a book that was just simply written by men, their opinion about what they thought. Those words were given specifically to them by God himself so that we would know God's the author of Scripture. Your Bible is the, is the most hotly debated, contested book in the history of human literature. More books have been written about this book than any other book ever in the history of humankind. It's been more maligned, more attacked. There, there is nothing like the Bible. Nothing even compares. Furthermore, we have more historical evidence more pieces of manuscript evidence for the historicity of the Bible, the authority of the Bible, than any other document in all of human history. You can trust your Bible. And so as we read this book and we learn about this amazing grace that has saved us, I believe what God did was say to each one of us, it's like, look, I want you to get this. It is grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, you are not saved by works. It's not your religious endeavor. It's not your religious effort that saves you. You see, to those that Paul's writing to, they're saying, well, I think you need to also be Jewish. You need to make sure you have a mezuzah on your door. You need to make sure you have your kippah and your talis. You, you, you need to absolutely be able to recite the Shema. And while there is nothing wrong with any of those things that I just said, if God puts that on your heart and you just feel like you're closer to the Lord because you wear a kippah and a talis and you want to go around reciting the Shema, the Shema came from the Lord, so by all means... But you are not a better Christian because you do that. You are not more saved because you do that. You are not going to be closer to God because of what you have done, because all of us are as close to God as we can get the moment we say yes to the offer of God's grace. I am saved the moment I receive Jesus Christ. And if I were to die that moment without ever doing any works, I'm still going to the same heaven that Billy Graham went to. You understand what I'm saying? Now, when Billy got there, he's going to have a stack of crowns. But the grace he received to save him is the same grace that I've received to save me. There, isn't, there are not levels of grace. There's not more grace-filled people and less grace-filled people. If you have God's grace, you have God's forgiveness. And that's why this message is so important. So what does he say? Paul's message begins with this amazing grace greeting. And he says, grace to you. He says, grace to you and peace. And the reason he does this is these two things have to be in this order. Because you cannot have the peace of God without first having the grace of God. And here's why. Your Bible says so. Your Bible says before you came to faith in Christ that you were actually at war with God. You may have not declared war on God yourself personally, but as a sinner, you were at war with God. You were outside of God. Matter of fact, you were actually dead in your trespasses and sins. 
And so here you are at war with God, and so you need the grace of God to cease the warfare, to end it. And here's what happens. You believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is applied to your life, resulting in the forgiveness of your sins. You are thereby espunged from the penalty of those sins, which previously was death and eternal destruction. And so now as a child of God, by receiving the grace of God, not only is the war ended, God gives you unmerited favor with himself. Not only are your sins forgiven, but your name's written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. You will one day be fully glorified. You're actually going to live with God eternally. And so you're now in a completely different place. Whereas before you were at war with God, you now are at peace with God. The warfare's ended. Not because you did something to deserve it, because that word grace means unmerited favor. God gave it to you as a free gift. He says, look, if you'll believe in my son, you will be saved. Amen? So now you're in a different place, and that different place is a place of peace. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about God giving me my salvation as a free gift by grace, through faith, that he gave me the faith to believe as a gift that has enabled me to now have a right relationship with God and he's giving me what I do not deserve, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus, that also results in peace with him. The war is ended because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When I think of that, that's an amazing grace greeting. Amen? Think about it. None of that is your doing. Every bit of that is God's doing. Why? Because God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten son. Notice it doesn't start this way, that the world so loved God that they went up to heaven and brought Jesus back. (laughs) Sounds a little different, doesn't it? Why? Because one shows the origin here, the other shows the origin there. Where's the origin? It's in heaven. You see, God's grace was always his plan. He has always wanted peace through salvation. He's never wanted the war. We declared the war in our rebellion. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden says we don't want peace. We want the tree and we want to have a little bit of warfare with you, God. We kind of want to do things our own way. And so now grace is placed as positionally, that's where you are right now as a child of God. Grace has placed you in Christ Jesus. So if you were to die right now, God sees you in the righteousness of Christ positionally. It's just as if you had never sinned, and yet you have and continue to. That's how great that grace is. But that peace is practical. That's exactly what you have right now. You're not going to get to heaven and and God walks up to you. You know, you were really, really, really close to getting into heaven. It's like, like this close. It It was really close. You were almost justified. You know, I nearly saw you in my son Jesus, but you know, you didn't quite, 
you didn't quite tithe enough. You remember that mission trip you were going to go on? And, and you said you got sick, but you weren't. Sorry, you're out. You see, the person who's a legalist adds in things like tithing, Bible memorization, missions trips, church attendance, having the right version of the Bible. The legalist adds a whole bunch of stuff in there and in essence says if you do these things and you have grace, you're good. Brothers and sisters, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourself. That is a gift of God. None of us can boast. Amen? Get that part right. Because that's why you have peace with God. You don't have peace with God because you're good. Y'all still rotten. (laughs) Just saying. Me too, by the way. We, We still sin. We still fall short of that glory, don't we? Anybody in here falls short and maybe in some attitude you have towards somebody? Some, something that you just think? Some repetitive thought process that you know God doesn't want you to have, but you have it anyway? And you even hate it, but you still have it. Aren't you glad you're saved by grace? Do you understand what I'm saying? Aren't you glad you're saved by grace? Because if it's any kind of work, We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it if it's not God's grace and totally His grace. Oh, some of us might get really close. But we'll be the ones that get there. You were like like that. Almost. Praise God, by grace, all of us can get there. It doesn't mean that we should live lives that are sin-filled we should want to please god because of the grace we should want to live lives of righteousness because of the grace we should endeavor to please god because of the grace we should want to walk in his ways because of the grace you see it's which one's first it really is a chicken or the egg thing isn't it it's grace first it's grace first And then practical righteousness comes and holiness and desire for the things of God and scripture memorization and giving and service and all those things. Even practical sinlessness comes after the fact. I had a young man lived in our neighborhood. It's the funniest thing. I think he was 14 at the time. But they were very proud of the fact that they, they believed that they lived in sinless perfection. They were of that ilk. And I remember he came down one time and he says, I just want you to know, because I know you're a pastor, I've never sinned. (laughs) I said, isn't that broken window over there from the rock you threw? (laughs) And he had, he'd thrown a rock right through our garage window. I said, you know that's sin, right? He says, well, um," and he huffed and he walked away. That's what people do with legalism. You eventually get to the, it's Jesus and. No, it's just Jesus. And it's just grace. And it's just faith. And if you believe in him, you'll be saved. 
The rest of the story happens after you come to that place of grace. That's where the mercy comes in. That's where the forgiveness comes in. That's where the blessings of God redeeming us and saving us and sanctifying us and one day glorifying glorifying us come in. And that's why this passage is so beautiful in the way it kind of summarizes the gospel. Look, the truth of the matter is the nature of the gospel is Christ's atoning death. It's his resurrection. It has nothing to do with religion. It's all about relationship with him. It has nothing to do with what style of church ministry you're engaged in. It has everything to do with do you know Jesus Christ personally? The object of the gospel was to deliver us from this dead religion, this present age, this world that has so many things to draw us away from God that makes every single person that's ever walked on this earth the object of the gospel. God has so loved us, and he did so before you were ever born, that he saw you in Christ Jesus and created you for good works so that before you were ever born, you could walk in them by grace. You are the object of God's grace. And I pray you see it. You're the object of the gospel. The source of the gospel has nothing to do with this earth. It has everything to do with heaven. It's God himself. That's why for God so loved us that he sent We didn't go up and get Jesus and bring him down. God sent his own son into this world to bring us the good news of the gospel of grace. And that's why Paul's motivation is what it is. It's to whom? It's to to Jesus. It's to God. It's to him be the glory forever and ever. I, I will never be able to glory in my own salvation. All I can do is thank God for it. I'm not ever going to be standing there going, man, I'm so holy. It's like, man, check this out. Like, I'm a full-on Jedi master in holiness. No, we're just going to be going, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Amen? This book is amazing. And if you'll walk in that grace, we're going to find out you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. This present age is dealt with by the grace of God, by him in us. That's our hope of glory. By what he's done for us, that's the way we have victory. You're going to find it at the beginning of every sentence, we ought to begin with grace. At the end of every sentence, we ought to end with grace. And everything in between it, guess what? God's grace in the life of a believer. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer? I I, I pray. I I don't want to give you an opportunity to today. Maybe you're here and something that has transpired in this short time together has piqued a desire for you to know Jesus personally. We, We have a prayer team that's waiting and available for you. And I want to encourage you directly after service, simply go over to our prayer room and say, I want to know more about Jesus. I'd like to meet him. Um, We want to share some truths with you and give you a Bible if you need one and just lead you in a simple prayer. But it's really this. If you'll believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. That's it. That's the gospel in a nutshell. 
That means you believe that he is God's own son. That means you believe he came and to this earth and in in a body, a human body. He died on Calvary's cross for you personally so that your sins could be forgiven. It's simple. The gospel is simple. And so simply receive that gospel truth. Believe that gospel truth and you will be saved. For the rest of us, walk in grace, family. Be gracious towards each other. Be gracious with other people. Don't don't confuse people about the grace that we've received. Keep grace, grace. Let sanctification and glorification and maturation, all those things that happen after grace, let those stay in the right place. But you keep grace first. And when you finish, finish with grace and tell everybody in between it's God's grace. Amen? Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you personally. Lord Jesus, I honor you for the grace that you poured into my own life, your unmerited favor on me, as Paul said, and I echo the same, a wretched sinner. Lord, we are wretched. But your love is so great and your grace is so marvelous that you save wretches like us. And we are so grateful that grace that we've received that's provided for the forgiveness of our sin Lord that's made us right in the eyes of a holy God that one day we'll see us home to heaven and so Lord afresh and anew help us to walk in your grace we give you our lives that you would use them for your plans and purposes we ask all this in Jesus name Amen